And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 167 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I'm your host, Grant Brisby. I'm here with my co-host, Andy Baggerly. And Andy, uh, 167 regular season wins for the Giants in 2021. (laughs) How about that? They lost negative five games. No one said they could do it. None of the projection systems said they could in 167 games. But uh. feels like it. Uh, you know, it's it's so we are recording this knowing that the Giants have won the National League West. Uh, it is still a little bit bonkers to think of it. It's even more bonkers to think about a 106 win second place team. Uh, I know that's going to make a lot of you very sad. What a freaking season this has been. It's been amazing. And it's it's a, a season that we've tried to slice and dice all the way through and explain why they're possibly doing this. But, you know, in the end, you're not really believing quite what you're seeing, that, that this team is, is doing what they were doing this year. And yet, you know, I don't know about you, and, and yeah, it went down to the last game, but you, you just felt like they were going to win the division. They were going to hold on. You know, it, it wasn't that they were going to... Logan Webb wasn't going to choke it uh, up in, in the final game, and they weren't going to have to play the Dodgers in a playoff game. You just kind of knew, going to the ballpark, at least I, I had the feeling uh, on Sunday, that they were just going to wrap it up and, and take care of business, and, and they did in a pretty darn awesome way. And, um, you know, just to see the look on Buster Posey's face when he got that that big two-run two, two run single uh, to, to put the Giants on the board. I mean, you can tell how long of a layoff it's been for him to get into meaningful moments again. And, man, that passion came out, the energy came out, and the fans uh, were standing, you know, about every five minutes to cheer something new. And uh, Logan Webb hit a home run and basically had a Jonathan Sanchez game and a Jack Sanford game all rolled, rolled into one. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was pretty amazing. You know, I try to convey that a little bit in my piece where uh, I, I talk about the Tommy LaStella home run when he walked it off for the Angels. That was fewer than ten thousand hours ago, and back then it was you know the Giants were going to be bad. They were going to be bad indefinitely. They were going to turn it around in twenty twenty three or something like that. And so I tried to to trace in my head how they went from that to I I felt the same way as you. I was like, I think that they're going to wrap this up today. I think that they're not going to worry about the Dodgers. They're not going to uh, scoreboard watch as much as they are just going to handle business. And so like tracing how you went from that 
to that, it's a remarkable journey. It's a short journey, a relatively short journey to convince, uh, you know, the baseball season's a long season, but still, there hasn't been a lot of time to process this, and yet the Giants have, you know, convinced us. They've convinced everybody. Yeah, you know, the the Dodgers won 106 games, and that's the most wins that uh, a second-place team has ever had in Major League history. That's just how good the Giants had to be to hold them off. You know, they were, what, 44-13 and after uh, getting... Uh, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, and they gained That's two wild. games on the Giants over that span. Two games. That's how good the Giants had to be. I mean, they they, they had to sweep six games in Coors Field, which which they'd never done before. They had to um, hold off the Dodgers ten to nine in a season series and, and win every last one of those games. Um, you know, someone pointed out that uh, you know they had the exact same number of, of wins, the Dodgers and Giants, against every other opponent except for themselves. And the one difference in the season series was the one difference in winning the division. And now, you know, it's going to be Cardinals-Dodgers in a wildcard game on Wednesday. Scherzer-Wainwright. I mean, that's going to be really compelling. And um, and we'll see who emerges from that. And, you know, the Giants, I'm sure, are probably not going to be favored. Their 107 wins probably won't matter to to uh, to the odds makers when they line up against either the Cardinals or Dodgers. And that's probably, they probably do not care about that at all. Yeah, I got a push notification from The Athletic this morning saying that Vegas has the Dodgers as World Series favorites. And look, I'm sorry. On paper, they they probably are the most talented team. I, I still do believe that. Uh, but when you have to play a play-in game to get to the, the big boy playoffs, forget it. You can't beat the automatic favorites. If they win the wild card, okay, let's reevaluate. But, you know, even if you are down on the Cardinals, there's still a 30% chance that the, the Cardinals win, 35. I mean, if you simulate this wild card game uh, a thousand times, how many times do the Cardinals win? A lot of them. It's a single baseball game against a very good team in the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers are Usain Bolt, but, you know, also the first third of his race, he has to do high high hurdles where no one else does, right? I mean, <laughs> right. it's it's uh, you just wouldn't pick him, even though he's the fastest runner in the race. Um, you know, I, I really, I read Jason Stark today, and I that's always good. I recommend you do that. It's, yes. it's, it's more, it's more, there's more vitality in that than taking your multivitamin. Um, and, you know, the more I read about the observations people made about this season and the record number of pitchers uh, that went on the injured list, not even counting the COVID injured list, uh, the number of players used, the more it dawns on me and and the more it becomes clear that, you know, the Giants were really kind of built in a way that maximized the the context of this year when everyone was ramping up from 60 games to 162. And, you know, maybe a lot of, of, of teams used a lot of information they gathered last year and made too much of it, which is especially um, sort of evident when you look at what would have happened if this season had stopped after 60 games and, like, the Cubs would have won the division? I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, I don't think we got a, a good read on, on you know, teams' staying power and, and, and players' abilities last year. And, and I think the Giants went into this season, and every team did, but they, I think, especially did, knowing that it was going to take a lot of depth and it was going to take a lot of, you know, raising the floor at the back end of your roster and the back end of your AAA roster even, uh, you know, to be able to kind of get through this season in a way that was, you know, sustainable, gave you a chance to win. And so, you know, maybe some of this is is context weird and, and it'll even out next year. I don't know what it would look like, uh, you know, as the Giants would, would build toward next season. Uh, but, I mean, they won 107 games and it wasn't an accident. They were over 600 winning percentage every single month of the season. They swept 13 series and they got swept twice. <laughs> I mean, it was, hmm. they were just really, really good, really consistent. And so, yeah, I think the teams are going to bet against them in the postseason, but 
if they continue to do the stuff that worked in the postseason, that worked in the regular season, I mean, you know, a team that has swept 13 times and only got swept twice, you'd, you'd kind of like the chances. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Your comments about the depth in what they built is a perfect segue into what I was going to bring up next, which is that I went back and I listened to our before the season, our preseason predictions podcast, our kind of pre-opening day podcast. I actually went and listened to it. And my first point is that on, I'm not sure if you can do it on mobile, but on desktop, if you go to the Bags and Brisby podcast, there is an option to listen to it at 80% speed. And it is the funniest thing I've ever done. We sound so hammered. We sound so <laughs> drunk talking about like, well, if Desclafani can just do, and I don't know why the option exists, but please, please do it. The second thing is that we talked about the depth. That is like what our focus was. It was, uh, you know, about back and forth about, look, the Giants have built a a roster with uh, no bad hitters, no bad pitchers. This might be important. And we both agreed that the difference was that they just didn't have a Mookie bet. They didn't have a superstar on the team. And I, you know, that was all very reasonable. And what we weren't expecting was that Brandon Crawford was going to be that superstar. That's what took the Giants from a contender to like a freaky, freaky good team. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know where he's going to fall on people's MVP ballots. You know, full disclosure, I have one, so I can't really say what I'm going to do with it. But I, I really do think that it's it's very reductive that the conversation has gone uh, down to Bryce Harper or Juan Soto um, you know, and maybe uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. as being in everyone's solid three. I, I can tell you, I, I can just tell you that's not going to be my three. In fact, it's not going to resemble my top three at all. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens there. But regardless, you know, Brandon Crawford was almost a six-war player. And I, I just don't think that captures his value because, you know, if you take it literally, you'd say, well, that means the Giants win 101 games instead of 107. And I don't think that's true. I don't think they win 95 games. I don't think maybe they even win that many games uh, if they don't have Brandon Crawford because he's just been so stabilizing to that team on both sides of the ball. And this is a roster that needed that because there was so much, I don't want to say instability, but variability on the roster from one day to the next. And you, you do need those couple of linchpins that can, you know, you people you can count on day in and day out. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's been remarkable, whether it was the season that Crawford had or the season that Buster Posey had, uh, and they were able to get that out of him by being very diligent to a, a workload regimen uh, of two on, one off. Um, you know, Brandon Belt basically is one of the top five hitters in, in baseball over the last two years, and they're not going to have him for the postseason, at least not until they get to the very end of the World Series, and then only if maybe, maybe, maybe he's a fast healer uh, with his broken wrist. But, 
You know, now it's kind of weird that the Dodgers, you hate to see it. You hate to see anyone get hurt, but Max Muncy, I mean, we don't know how, how hurt he is. And that's kind of the same piece off the chessboard for both teams if they were to meet in the next round. So, um, but yeah, they just got so much performance out of their older players that no one was expecting. And I, none of this happens without without that. That's such a key ingredient. I recommended a piece to you from Stephen Goldman at Baseball Prospectus about the 1987 MVP race. And he draws parallels between that and, and the 2021 race, and he's more concerned with uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Otani and and trying to uh, uh, parse that, but it was a very, very good article in which he says, you know, I used to be back in the early sabermetric days just angry when the the voters would go against sabermetrics, when they would go and they would vote someone like Andre Dawson, who was, you know, uh, 13th in war, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then he comes around and says, well, now, you know, I look at what Dawson did in the season after collusion, playing on busted knees, and like, that was a darn heroic season. It was a beautiful season, and it had value, and like, I'm reevaluating everything about the MVP race. And I think that's kind of where I have come around to, because when you're looking at war and like I'm on fan graphs and you have uh, a couple of players, uh, seven players, six war. You have some players at five and a half. Like once you start like getting into the weeds there, like it, the differences aren't as as great as you might make them seem. And then you might start to look for someone like, OK, well, like Crawford was crazy important he was very stable he brought stability i mean his defense was just so smooth all year in a way that every ball that went to him almost he was making some sort of great but yet unremarkable play like there's something to that and you know i'm biased but uh, i don't know like i think there is a romance to the mvp that is valid i agree it's not like okay who wins the batting crown the batting crown is won by the person who has the highest batting average. That is quantifiable. That is, uh, you know, very much in stone, full stop. Did you have enough plate appearances to qualify? Sure. Okay, great. You have the highest batting average. Congratulations. You've won the batting crown. <laughs> maybe we just need a war crown. Just have a war crown. You have the highest war, and we can maybe let have a, like a lucha libre between the fan graphs people and, and the baseball reference people. I hear that Sean Foreman's a hair puller. Be careful. Um, and, and, and they can duke it out to see whose war we use, but just make a war title. And, and then someone even said to me, why are we calling it most valuable player? Just make it most outstanding player. And I'm like, uh-uh. Valuable is a subjective word. It really is. It, it depends on what you value. Um, and uh, and uh, outstanding is another subjective word. So it's a subjective award to some degree. There is going to be some romance in it. There's going to be some narrative in it. But it's it's going to be the most, who is the most compelling player? And, and who is the player who made the biggest difference? And all of these things are kind of part and parcel of, of that award. You know, and, and people will fa- have some factors bigger than others. And and for me, you know, I, I just look at, like you said, you have a six and a half four, you have a five and a half four. What is the real difference there? Is is it is it really really uh, you have to? It's just undefensible to give the MVP to someone who did a lot of other things that may be tougher to quantify uh, and finish with one fewer WAR. And you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I I look at defense a ton, and uh, and being a well-rounded everyday you know player, I think is is the the number one criteria for me. You know, were you available to play every day? Were you durable? Were you consistent? Um, you know, did you do things every day to help your team win? And, um, you know, I, I, I'll tell you what, another thing I think about is Juan Soto. You know, this is no knock on him. He had a fantastic year. He is going to be one of the biggest megastars in this game. He is already. He derived a lot of his offensive war and his value by walking. And he walked a lot because 
he was on a bad team and there wasn't a lot around him. And I, I don't penalize pitchers that get their outs via contact uh, as opposed to strikeouts. I don't really care what their FIP is. Just that by the same token, I'm not going to penalize a Brandon Crawford because he saw more strikes than, than Juan Soto. He didn't have to throw Juan Soto a strike. And to his credit, he took a ton of walks. But how valuable are all those walks on a team where there aren't a lot of people to drive you in? And um, he really didn't do a whole lot in the first couple months of the season when he really would have been valuable and that the Nationals broke up their team. So I, I just don't I don't see the case for Juan Soto as most valuable player. I don't, I don't think what he did had value in a traditional sense that helps a team win. And he's a great player. He had a great season. He's going to be in my top five, but he's not going to be in my top three, probably. I uh, will do a, like an amended version of a rant that I did on the baseball barista, where uh, the definition of value for me uh, it can really go beyond this player was on a contender. This player was... So uh, I, my example was Otani. Like, you don't think that that had value for the Angels franchise. I get that they finished under 500 and they were never really contenders, but you don't think that what Otani did was valuable in both fan interest and just getting people excited about the Angels. And I'll extend that to Brian Reynolds. Like, you don't think that's valuable that he played 159 games for the Pirates, that if you're a diehard Pirates fan, if you just cannot quit that franchise, even if, as they've tried to make you quit, you get to look forward to at least one dude every day playing at an MVP level. That has value. It's not just about contenders and this guy doing that. Um, I think you make a really good point about Soto, about if he were more valuable in the beginning of the year, maybe the Dodgers don't have freaking Trey Turner or Max Scherzer. And I think that there is an argument to, to be made there. But value is, is subjective and it encompasses like a big, big pie. And I think that you have to consider all the players and what value really means to those franchises. I do. And I think that's a great point. And I, I certainly, if I were voting AL MVP, would vote for Otani for all the reasons you just mentioned. And I'm not trying to say that what Soto did didn't matter because it came for a second you know, division team. Um, I guess I'm just saying that the way that his value is sort of derived through all those walks totally. and ended up not really mattering a lot to his team as much as it would to someone in the race. And I'm not penalizing him for that, but I'm also not giving him extra credit for it. Um, so, um, and, you know, I, I think you sketched out a, a world in which the Dodgers would not have Trey Turner or Max Scherzer. <laughs> and and what, what if that world also included the Giants still having Brian Reynolds? So, Well, you know, uh, Trey Turner did make a huge difference in this postseason uh, race because if the Dodgers don't trade for him, maybe a, a second baseman throws it right to Will Smith and the, the Giants don't walk off on a weird air uh, that pulled Ooh. Will Smith off the bag. Right. Was- One more thing. There's sliding doors all over the place, just sliding doors. All right, um, let's talk about Cardinals versus Dodgers, and specifically, how did the baseball gods line up the two teams that could possibly freak Giants fans out more in the NLDS? Like, this is an all-timer. Giants fans should be nervous because a short series is, you know, prone to wackiness. And here you have Arenado and Goldschmidt on one hand, and then you have the Dodgers on the other. Like, you can't pick two teams that would make Giants fans more nervous. Yeah, Arenado and Goldschmidt have just been Giants killers over the years. Goldschmidt a little less so now that Tim Lincecum is eating bowls of cereal in his expensive glass-walled condo in Seattle. But yeah, they're two 
two guys who scare the crap out of you. In fact, I think saw Scott Hairston knocking on a door outside of Bush Stadium, seeing if they'll let him in. And he's he's got a printout. He's got a printout. It's a dot matrix printout with his career numbers against the Giants. So they, they might end up signing him too. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. I can't wait for this game on Wednesday. The pitching matchup alone is going to be an all-timer. I mean, these are two of the best pitchers of their generation. And you've got Yadi Molina and you've got all of the, the Dodgers star players. And oh man, it's going to be good. And you know, the one thing that you know is whoever emerges from that game is probably, as we said, going to be the favorite, but they also are probably not going to be able to throw a Scherzer or a Wainwright twice in an NLDS against the Giants. So, you know, that is sort of the tax that you pay by being the wild card. I know that there is some cause for, oh, we got to fix this system. It's broken. There's no way a 106 win team should have their season come down to a one game wild card. I mean, the, the answer has always been, well, just win another game, win your division. And, you know, that's a little tougher of an argument to make when you win 106. But I think that this was such an anomaly to have two teams win 106 plus games. I I just don't think that's really going to be repeatable. So I I don't see a problem to fix there. But regardless, I think the Dodgers probably had to know for a little while that the Giants weren't going to lose and let them back in this thing all the way. So they've probably been ready for this for for some time now. And uh, they're going to face a team that had a 17 game winning streak in September. And the National League is stacked. I mean, every single matchup is great. And it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. You look at like the Braves and everyone's forgetting about the Braves. The Braves are good. You know, the Braves, the Braves, even without Acuna, like the Braves have talent. They have talent in the rotation. You know, they have depth in the lineup. Uh, the Brewers, I know that they scuffled toward the end of the year and they lost uh, uh, Devin Williams to a wall, but they're good. You know, they have depth. They have depth in the rotation. They were, when Williams was healthy, one of my, I mean, they were built for the postseason where you could shorten the game, but you also might not need to shorten the game because you have the the rotation, uh, maybe taking you into the sixth inning. Like they were like a combination of the 2010 Giants and the 2015 Royals, if that makes sense. Like you just like jam those pitching staffs together to make some sort of super freaky pitching staff. Um, they're good. So yeah, the National League is not going to be easy for anyone. The Cardinals, uh, obviously, are, are, are quite good. So no matter who the Giants play, it's going to be a little bit of a dogfight. So we should know some things pretty soon. I don't know if we should discuss them because there probably won't be such an evergreen conversation. But do we need to have the Kevin Gossman or Logan Webb in game one conversation? Uh, we certainly could. We certainly could. And so when you're talking... A game one starter in a best of five series. Remind me, I've watched a lot of postseason baseball, but I also have a very broken brain. The pitcher who pitches in game one, 
does he usually come back in game five? Is that that's usually how that works, correct? I mean, yeah. So you've got the Dodgers and oh, you got the Giants. They start on Friday, right? And then Saturday. So they'll have Gosman and Webb probably starting those two games in some combination, I would imagine. And then uh, Sunday to be a travel day. And then you've got uh, Monday, Tuesday um, it, it, at the uh, lower seed. And then you've got uh, another travel day. And then you have Thursday. So, um, yeah, you've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, so basically your game one starter becomes your game five starter, but sometimes teams will have them go in game four on short rest. So that 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 has been the sort of dilemma over the years. Got it. Okay, so yeah, so that is a tough one because uh, Gossman has looked really good. You know, he has rounded back into form. The fastball has zipped. The, 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 he's putting the splitter where he wants to more often. He's working in a nice slider as well. Uh, the Cardinals, you know, the Cardinals saw Logan Webb uh, in July 16th. He allowed one run. This was right after he came back from the injured list and right before he morphed into uh, like, you know, a ball of flaming fire and turned into a Cy Young level pitcher. Uh, so the Cardinals, I, I think, would would be less familiar with Logan Webb. That might be an argument. Uh, you could have the argument that uh, Gossman is uh, more experienced. He's, he's more of a veteran. Um, I think I might just go with Webb, though. I think it's, it's about familiarity. The Cardinals are just absolutely stacked with right-handed hitters. If they have a left-hander in the lineup, it's because that's a switch hitter. Uh, I think Logan Webb is just furiously... He is so good against right-handers. He's good against lefties, but he's so good against right-handers. I think Webb would be my uh, pick if it were the the Cardinals. If it's the Dodgers, maybe still Webb, but I think you have a better argument with Gossman as well. Uh, the Dodgers do seem to see Gossman well, uh, so I think I might go Webb in either case. I think that this is setting up well for the Giants in either either event, and, and that's because, you know, they won the division and they have home field. And we know that a lot of these playoff games are going to start at five o'clock. And when you have a guy with a two seamer that dives like Logan Webb's does, it basically has as much movement um, as um, Kevin Gossman's split, except it's coming in, you know, about six miles an hour harder, eight miles an hour harder. Um, And then you've got Gossman with a splitter. That's a tough pitch to pick up in the shadows in, in the afternoon light. I mean, you saw the other day that Joe West had to stop the game to get the lights turned on, um, you know, in like the, the seventh inning or something uh, of a day game because it started to get a little shadowy. So, I mean, that's an advantage. And if if the if if the Giants had not won the division, I mean, I guess they wouldn't be playing the Dodgers anyway. Um, in that case, uh, if they'd get, gotten past a wild card game and, and probably have game times at five o'clock there, regardless. But I, I think that sets up well to have those two guys as your starting pitchers at home. Uh, and what's probably going to be five o'clock starts. You know, I'm looking at Gossman's splits <clears throat> now, and I see, uh, it, it seems to me, like, it, do you feel like he struggled against the Dodgers just without looking at stats? Is that kind of the, the image that you have in your mind? Um, in the second half, I, I want to say yes. Um, I, I think I felt like they fouled more pitches off. Uh, in the first half, no, I, I feel like he, I, I can't, I don't have the numbers in my head, but just the, the notion in my mind is that he pitched well against them. He allowed the Dodgers, uh, or he held the Dodgers to a 160 batting average uh, all year, uh, but a 300 on base percentage, he was a little iffy with his command, and a 400 slugging percentage where he allowed three home runs uh, to the Dodgers. That is uh, more than you would expect Gossman to, to, to allow. But he was pretty good. He just didn't give them innings. He was running that pitch count up early. He was uh, exiting games early. That was the problem, less 
than the Dodgers were knocking him around. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe he is still the guy because he was the the pitcher throwing at a a Cy Young level for most of the year. Uh, Maybe you trust him, especially he has experience going past 150 innings, going toward 200 innings where Webb does not. I don't know. I don't think there's a wrong choice, actually. No, and they gave him the extra day before his last start. And I think they did that because they realized he was going to be at his best uh, in that start. And he was pretty good, even though they couldn't pull out the game against the Padres on Saturday. And they knew that they were going to need him to be at his best uh, if they were going to go anywhere in this uh, postseason tournament. And, um, you know, he's the one guy who hasn't really gotten a break. He hasn't had an IL stint mixed in there at some point uh, when he had the all-star break. His, his all-star break was to, you know, fly home in an emergency to be with his wife who, um, you know, nearly went into labor prematurely and, 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 and then a hurricane hit his house in Baton Rouge. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that he was dealing with this year. And, and he's, he's, he's really grinded hard. He's thrown a lot of innings. And uh, I, I think given the extra rest, uh, given what he's looked like in his last couple outings, you know, the, 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 the biggest thing is that he hasn't been as efficient, hasn't pitched as, as deeply into games. And I think that's a consequence of having a little less uh, ride on his fastball and that fastball up that he gets a swing through on have been foul balls um, and the split had been a little bit inconsistent but it looked really good his last time out uh, I think he's trending in the right direction uh, where he, well, how much he has sort of overall in the tank I think is, is a fair question it's a fair question for everybody at this stage of the season but um, you know he, he strikes me as somebody that I think uh, um, will, will probably be a little closer to the first half version of himself than the second half version. And you'll know that if he starts to work quick innings, if he starts to put hitters away quickly uh, and he's not sitting out there, you know, pushing 90 pitches in five innings and, and that's it. But even if that's the case, if he can be effective, we know this bullpen has so many options that have been effective and, and, and maybe they don't need a starting pitcher, uh, you know, to, to go, you know, eight innings or, or, or walk off to a standing ovation, you know, with two outs in the seventh or something like that. Um, they, they have enough weapons and they'll have enough built-in off days that they can kind of leverage the, this bullpen, which has been a strength for them. Let me ask you a question, just a, a little quiz, because I want to see if your what your perceptions are. Kevin Gossman made 33 starts this year. How many of those starts uh, did he throw 100 pitches or more? Oh, boy. You know, I'll bet you not a lot. Um, I'll, I'll say uh, 12. Five. Wow, really? And and two of those were exactly 100 pitches. And it's not as if he was getting yanked in the fifth inning all the time. He pitched into the sixth inning uh, in 21 of those 33 starts. So he's giving the Giants innings. But yeah, I was surprised by that. I mean, I know the Giants aren't big on running up pitch counts. They just, that's not modern baseball. Uh, But he rarely threw more than 100 pitches. He was, you know, he's efficient. He's, I don't know, he is uh, Kevin Gossman. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, you you can look at Tyler Rogers too, and I know you've made this point. Uh, you know, seventy-nine appearances led the the major leagues, and but he only threw, I think, what fourteen pitches per appearance. It was pretty darn low, and and so you know they've they, they have not, I think, burned people out. They've been really really careful about having sort of a you know conservation-minded approach to everyone on this roster, and and that's probably one of the reasons they won as many games as they did, and. You can't do that unless you have trust that, you know, the next person you're going to ask to take the ball or, or take a plate appearance is going to be successful. And that depth is, has, has certainly been wildly, wildly successful for them. Um, but, yeah, it's it's one reason to think that they may be better set up uh, for October than some other teams that have had to push 
some of their star players to get where they are. And, um, and you know, it, that may be a bit of a leveling effect. Uh, you have a guy like a, a Max Scherzer or a Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller has not had the best, uh, you know, September. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how who uh, who's able to maintain a little bit better and, and who may be uh, struggling to keep up with, um, you know, w- what we think of as their sort of norms in terms of performance because they may just they may just be tuckered out. Does Johnny Cueto make a postseason roster? Oh, that's a great question. It really is. I, I think that they, they basically have... Uh, two bullpen spots uh, to award between Zach Littell and Kervin Castro and Johnny Cueto. And Castro was a little, a little, uh, a little iffy uh, when he was trying to to finish out for Logan Webb in the eighth inning on Sunday. And I don't think that they'll necessarily overevaluate that um, and and rule him out. But I think it's very, very close between Cueto and 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 Kervin Castro. And I I would imagine that maybe they'll go with Cueto, uh, even though they they probably don't need him as much. I mean, you just don't need a long guy as much in the postseason. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they really do respect what he's able to do. And, and and really, the other thing that surprised me, I'll tell you, is that Dom Leone is the guy who pitched the, the ninth inning. Uh, very well-deserved, great moment, awesome for him. He got a buster hug. That they, they can, <laughs> You can never wash that off. Um, but they needed to see what Jake McGee had, and uh, they we haven't seen him since he went on the IL. I talked to him at length the other day after he threw a bullpen. He said he felt really good. Um, but I thought that he was going to get an inning uh, just so he wasn't going to get tested out in the postseason. So the fact that he didn't get the ball, that surprised me. And um, it leaves me wondering, you know, where exactly he is. And and we know Camilo Duvall is, is getting a lot of save situations, and Tyler Rogers is still going to be trusted at the back end. But, yeah, there, there are definitely some, some interesting uh, permutations and usage uh, issues uh, to, to quiz fair manager Gabe Kepler about before game one. I think the Cardinals in the NLDS would make for a really, really interesting roster for uh, the Giants because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, they just don't have left-handed batters. They have uh, Matt Carpenter is the only dedicated uh, left-handed batter. Oh, there's also Lars Nootbar. Um, you know, <laughs> so they have, you know, guys like Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson who are switch hitters. But other than that, it's Molina, it's uh, DeYoung, it's... Uh, Arenado, it's Tyler O'Neill, it's Goldschmidt, it is right-hander, right-hander, right-hander. You're not going to be bringing Jose Alvarez against them. You're not going to be bringing Harleen Garcia against them. You might see the Giants, if the, the Cardinals beat the Dodgers, you might see the Giants just stack the right-handers. And you have, you know, Jake McGee would be on the roster mo- most likely. Tony Watson doesn't have uh, huge platoon splits. Uh, but you, I think they would stack the roster with, with Castro, with maybe even Cueto. And just those would be the, the victims of of, uh, roster casualty if the Cardinals make it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just making too much of this. Maybe they want to have their guys and, you, you know, they've earned it. And Jose Alvarez and, and Harlan Garcia were so good all year. They might want to reward them and bring them in. I don't think this is the time for rewards, though. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is a bummer that Tony Watson's not going to be available. And if his shoulder strain is moderate, as they say, it's kind of hard to imagine that they're going to be able to count on him anytime soon. Uh, but still, he's done a lot for that bullpen and, and a lot to to help to provide some leadership in that bullpen too. And, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it is going to provide some interesting, I think, uh, discussion points. And, and um, you know, they don't have to set that roster until I think the morning of, of game one. So they may take some of those discussions all the way up to that point. 
And it's always difficult because you have guys who have been part of things and you're telling them, hey, you know, we, we need you to sit back and, you know, throw a ball into a net for a while. But you know what? Barry Zito did that in 2010 and he came back and became Rally Zito in 2012. So you never, you never know, uh, you know, who's going to be the person to step up or have that moment. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen the Giants do it. We've seen Connor Gillespie and Travis Ishikawa and all of these, uh, you know, unlikely sort of heroes step into their moments. And, and, and the funny thing is you could imagine anybody, anybody on this roster uh, being that kind of player. And, and by the way, when I was a kid and, and I was trick-or-treating, you knew which house gave out the full-size Lars nude bars. <laughs> and, and you had to, you had to stop. You change clothes, you get in another um, costume, and then you go visit and ring their doorbell again. Yeah, we had one of those on my, house, or on my block. We had uh, my neighbor two doors down. His daughter was born on Halloween, uh, shared a birthday with me. And uh, to celebrate his daughter, they would give out full-size candy bars. And so that was uh, my parents, who also had a child uh, who was born on Halloween. Uh, they didn't do the full-size candy bars. Come on, who does Wait, that? Wait, your birthday's on Halloween? You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. Well, I guess I don't advertise it, but yeah, um, it's it, Halloween. So I turned uh, 40 years old alone in a Los Angeles hotel room with the Dodgers having a chance to clinch. And I just was sitting there going, this is the funniest thing in the world. I can't even be mad. They're going to win the World Series as I turned 40 <laughs> alone in a Los Angeles hotel. It didn't happen like that. You know, they, they lost, uh, but it was still very, very funny. Oh, that's so sad. That That is really a sad image. <laughs> I'm so sorry you had that experience. Oh, um, it was funny. What can you do? I think that I, sometimes I like when the universe pokes you in the nose. Uh, so when you were a kid, did you have like birthday parties on Halloween or how, how did that even work? Oh, I can go on a rant. This is not an end of uh, podcast topic, but no, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, it sucks. It sucked uh, growing up because it's not about you. You know, your birthday's supposed to be about you. Halloween is never about you. It is uh, the doorbell ringing every two seconds when you're trying to open presents. And then when you get into like college, it's not about, hey, let's go out to the bars for, for Grant's birthday. It is, uh, hey, let's go out to the bars because of Halloween. But also, Grant is too young to go to the bars because I was young in college. And so all my friends would go to the bars and I would spend like my birthdays with the one friend who felt bad for me. Uh, I have rants, man. It sucks. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah, just I'm pop it fired up. Pop a Delta 8 gummy, you'll feel better. <laughs> oh, man. All right. This has been episode uh, 167 of the Bags of Risby podcast. We will be back on Thursday. And boy, that'll be a fun one because we will know who the Giants are facing. It won't be this speculative nonsense. It will be, uh, well, no. Well, no. Cardinals or Dodgers. It's bananas that one of them will be gone by the time we talk next. But it's good content for us. So we'll see you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 